Well, our Savior Jesus, when he lived here on this earth, he lived an agricultural life, right? He knew all about farming. He knew about animals. He knew about plants. He knew about trees. He would, if you read the scriptures, if you read the gospels, you know that he'd often tell stories that would give illustrations that, that his agricultural people around him would know, stories about farming, right? He, he would tell stories about about shepherds losing one sheep and going to find that one sheep. He would tell stories about about farmers who who had bonus years and built bigger barns to hold the treasure of his grain. He would tell stories about, about a farmer hiring workers at different times of the day to bring the harvest in. He would tell stories about growing fruit. We're gonna listen to his is truth told about growing fruit this morning. Now, most of us here don't know a lot about growing fruit. I dare say none of us are experts in growing fruit. The closest I come to growing fruit is picking apples off the, my neighbor's backyard apple trees. He did give me permission, so I go and pick apples. That's the closest I come to fruit. Most of the time, we just go to the grocery store and buy whatever fruit we want, whether it's in season or out of season. It doesn't matter. We don't need to know how to grow fruit. But Jesus uses the the image of growing fruit on a tree to help all of us here today understand and evaluate our own spiritual health, our own spiritual lives, and the lives of the the spiritual lives and the spiritual health of the people all around us as well. Jesus tells us that the genuineness of your spiritual health, of your spiritual life, like Fruit trees will be seen in what your life produces. He says healthy trees grow healthy, good fruit that you want to eat, that you're attracted to. Unhealthy fruit trees bear either no fruit or bad fruit. You take a bite and you don't want it. It's ugly. In the same way, Jesus said, healthy, people who are healthy spiritually will bear fruit that people will want. People who aren't healthy spiritually in their lives will bear ugly fruit that people don't want. He says you're going to know people's spiritual health by their good character and good conduct. By their fruit, you will recognize them, Jesus says. That's true about you and me still today. Right? If you want to gauge how healthy you are spiritually, examine your character, examine your conduct. If we want to grow spiritually, we should invite others around us to examine our character, examine our conduct. And if we want our church here, Ivan Rest Church in Granville, Michigan, to be healthy spiritually, then we better honestly examine the fruit that all of us as a full orchard together the fruit that we as an orchard are growing and bearing for the world around us. Are we growing a good crop in our conduct and our character, or are we growing a bad crop? So for the next three weeks together, we're going to be examining and learning about three aspects of our character and conduct as a congregation, as a church, three types of fruit that should be recognizable if we are spiritually healthy, by anybody who looks at us, by anybody who sets foot 
in this church. And we're going to start this morning with the attitude and the action of worship. Right? Our worship, the Bible says, is, is the fruit by which our spiritual health is revealed. Now, there are a lot of psalms that we could turn to this morning. Psalms that talk about worship, that invite us into worship, that tell us of God's worthiness to be worshiped, that tell us of what a privilege it is for each one of us to be able to come and worship. We could turn to a multitude of psalms, but we're not going to do that this morning. Instead, we're going to turn further back in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Take out your Bibles if you wish. If you forgot to grab a Bible, feel free to get up and grab one from the back or either side. We're going to be reading the whole chapter of 2 Samuel 6. So you might want to have your Bible in front of you. Page 244. 244. While you're looking it up, let me set the stage for you. King David has just become king over Israel. And, and the Philistines, Israel's arch enemy, they, they had earlier captured the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the symbol of the presence of God. And now they're about to do battle against Israel and this new king, David. And they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle along with them, the Philistines do, assuming that that will guarantee them victory over Israel. It doesn't. God is on David's side, and Israel wins a great victory. And in their haste, in their defeat, they leave the ark behind, and they run back, back home again. And so David gets to go and reclaim the ark of the covenant. This chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 6, is David's celebration. And his celebration in the presence of the ark is a powerful lesson to us in this chapter about worship. Look at Look at the worship surrounding God's presence here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's read that whole chapter. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim and the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, this, that place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has 
because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the, tent of da- inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes." When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Oh, this chapter brings you up, brings you down, all over the place. And David and the Israelites here have, have an encounter with the presence of the Lord Almighty, multiple encounters with the presence of God. There's a couple different worship experiences going on here in this chapter, and, and each time they're in the presence of the Almighty God. And at the start of this chapter, David has gathered 30,000 men, every able-bodied man in Israel, right, to join him here in the presence of God to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And and the worship celebration they have is spectacular. Picture 30,000 people together. And and verse 5 tells us that every one of them is celebrating with all their might, with songs and harps and lyres and timbrings, drums and cymbals, 30,000 strong. It was joyful. It was colorful. It was active. It was loud. It was spectacular. And it all comes screeching to a halt when Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark and it's struck down dead. The whole procession stops. The music is silenced. The dancing's done. The parade is canceled. And it turns into a funeral procession instead. And David parks the ark in Obed-Edom's garage, out of sight, out of mind. Whenever I read that, I, I think it, 
It seems unfair that Uzzah is struck down and killed for what he did. Really, all he was doing was reaching out to keep the ark from sliding off. What did God want him to do? Let it fall? But still, God gets so angry at that offense of his that he strikes him dead. But when you step back and really look at what's going on, you realize that the offense that he's paying for started way, way, way back before he reached out and touched the ark. The offense that God is angry about started before one step of this parade began and before one bit of music was played. The offense started because David and the rest of these 30,000 people failed to properly prepare for worship in the presence of God Almighty. Right? We read here that they put the ark on a brand new cart in order to bring it into Jerusalem. Seems appropriate to us, right? A brand new cart that had never been used for anything else. What a great way to honor and to transport the ark. But it was completely inappropriate. That's the way that the Philistines transported their helpless and their lifeless gods. They put their lifeless gods on a cart and hauled them around wherever they wanted them to go. And God made it clear to them, that's not the way you move the almighty, living, everlasting God in the presence that is signified with the ark. God made it clear in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, that they knew so well that his presence is to be carried on the poles set on the shoulders of his servants, the Levites. That's how he is to be honored. That's how his people are to interact with him, not put him on a cart and haul him around, but to relate to him and carry him. The offense happened before the worship ever began. It happened when they approached the Almighty God casually and thoughtlessly and inappropriately. And if you and I are are going to be able to come close to the presence of God in our time of worship, then you and I need to prepare for worship appropriately before we ever even set one foot into this room. It's not a coincidence that that God in the Old Testament demanded that he be carried by his people. It's a foreshadowing of how God still relates to us today. He isn't an impersonal God that just gets shipped here or shipped there or shipped somewhere else. No, he is a God in relationship with his people. He's carried still today, this time not on the shoulders of Levites in an ark on poles. He's still being carried today by you and by me as he makes his home in your heart and in your life. You are the Levite carrying the presence of God where you go. The Holy Spirit moves in us and with us where we go because he lives within us. Never forget that you carry the glory and the honor of the Almighty God in you. And yet, how often, way too often, you and I compartmentalize God to be a Sunday-only God, 
to be a church-building only God, to be a morning devotion time God before we set him aside and live the rest of our day out. We leave him safely tucked away in the religious areas and aspects of our lives. And then we go on and engage the rest of our lives without him. We limit him to those overtly religious parts of life. And that's so often why we assume that we come here on Sunday mornings to meet God. We, we somehow imagine God sitting in this building Maybe God sitting in this room, maybe on the front edge of the stage here, waiting for us to come and meet him, waiting for you and I to arrive. And then once we get here, once we come to this corporate worship time, then maybe if everything is done right and if it's to our taste and to our liking, then God will move in our hearts and we'll meet him. We'll connect with him. We will experience him. That's not the right image. That's not the right way to imagine how worship happens and and how God works and how God moves. The right image would be this Old Testament image. God in relationship with his people. God meeting us, not in a big room somewhere, but in relationship. Like the Levites carrying the ark, You and I carry the very presence of God always in our hearts and always in our lives. He isn't in this room, in this building, waiting for us. He arrives right along with us. He's come with us. We carry him here. We carry him everywhere we go. And yet too many of us, we try to leave him behind when we come to worship, which seems so ironic. Because we haven't come having prepared well. We haven't made sure that our hearts are filled with God when we step into this place. We haven't walked into this room already hand in hand with God, heart connected to his heart. Instead, so often we fall into the routine and the rut of of coming here with empty hearts, expecting the pastor maybe to fill them. Expecting the words of the pastor to connect us to God. Expecting the music to connect us to the Holy Spirit, to fill us with the Spirit. And then we're disappointed sometimes when we say that God didn't show up this morning. God always shows up. God's always here. His Spirit, His presence is always with you. It's not that God didn't show up. It's that we weren't ready to receive him. We weren't open to receiving him because we haven't carried him as he's asked us to carry him. We haven't prepared to be in his presence because like that parade, our worship preparation begins long before you set foot in this building, long before long before the first word is spoken on this stage, long before the first note is played. Worship begins as you prepare your hearts for this exchange with the Almighty. Worship begins as you you come here with God's presence alive and well within you. So think about your morning so far. 
how you spent this morning. Did you prepare your heart for the presence of God this morning to worship? Too often we think all we need to do is show up. And so we prepare for this corporate worship time by reading the news on our phones or watching Netflix on Sunday morning. Or maybe we prepare by fighting with our little brother or little sister. Or maybe we prepare by, by telling our spouse to hurry up and get ready or we're going to be late. And then we get upset when we don't get our favorite seat that we like to sit in every Sunday. And that really prepares you well for worship. We learn from David and Uzzah in this sad story here that preparation to be in God's presence is so vitally important. So how do we do that? What are some ideas that might help you and me as we prepare for worship? It might be different for each one of us. God works in different ways for each of us, but maybe, maybe I know that some of you, some of you get the bulletin online on Thursdays and you've told me that you open that up and by Thursday afternoon you already know what scripture we're gonna study and you read that scripture Thursday, Friday, Saturday, preparing for Sunday. And so you already knew that we were going to read 2 Samuel because you've been already preparing. You've been thinking about that. Some of you, when we send out the, the Wednesday Facebook post that has the music for the Sunday, you listen to those songs for the rest of the week, preparing for worship. So you already knew the songs we're going to sing because you're, you've already been listening and worshiping ahead of time. Maybe... Maybe for you, it's as simple as setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier on Sunday morning so that you have unrushed moments of quiet to connect with God before you come. Maybe it's ignoring your phone or your computer, taking, taking a phone or computer Sabbath just for Sunday morning so you don't turn it on until after worship so that you can be thinking about God and maybe actually spend a little time in prayer before you come. Maybe it's turning off the radio in your car on the way here. And so you have a moment of quiet with God. I don't know. You come up with your own idea. What are you willing to try on Sunday mornings? Maybe every morning. What are you willing to try to prepare yourself to be in the presence of God Almighty and to recognize his continual presence in your life? Are you willing to do anything to prepare? Worship takes preparation. But also notice that David didn't limit his worship experience here to just himself and God. Yes, there, there was an individual aspect to his worship, right? Verse 14 gives us a picture of David dancing before the Lord with all his might. That was intensely personal and intimate between David and God. His heart was filled with the presence and the power of God. But God made sure that that personal connection happened within the presence of the whole worshiping community. In both instances, the, the, the first one where there's 30,000 gathered, and, and in the second one where it says all of Israel gathered, in both instances there's this huge community of people worshiping together. Verse 15 tells us that David's worship connection occurred while he and all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with, the, with shouts and sounds of trumpets. And after the ark arrived in Jerusalem, David not only, and, and he did it correctly that time, right? If you were to go back in the Old Testament, after six steps, they made a sacrifice. That's what God asked. 
wearing the linen ephod? That's what God had asked when they did it right and they celebrated right and they prepared well and they experienced it well. At the end of the, the celebration, David gave gifts to everyone, right? Yes, he gave an offering and a sacrifice to God, but then it says he also, to every person present, man and woman, he gave them a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. Everybody's presence was important. He had, David acknowledged the presence of God and the presence of the people with him in worship. The community around you is important in your worship. It's important in your relationship with God. You and I need each other in order to worship well. We need to encourage, support, and challenge each other in our daily relationship with God. And I hope you have a small group of people or maybe a mentor who will personally challenge you, encourage you, help you grow. But we also need the encouragement and support and the challenge of this community on Sunday mornings in this corporate worship setting. Because together in this community, we learn to not only accept, but to also appreciate our differences. In this community, we hear God's voice coming from different experiences and different perspectives into our hearts and lives. In this community, we have people who will help us worship, people who will help us connect our hearts to God's heart in those moments when, when we can't do it ourselves when we need help to rebuild our relationship with God. So those few moments, when we give you time at the start of the service, and today we're going to do it at the end of the service, when we give you those moments to greet each other, that's more than just a chance to say hello to a friend. It's a brief opportunity to build a little bit of community before we worship together in that community. And maybe greeting the, the four or five people right around you is all that you need in order to get a taste of community, to be reminded, I'm not in this alone. I'm here with brothers and sisters doing this together. Maybe in those, those 30 seconds, you need to go find a specific person because you need to connect your heart to their heart to worship together. Or maybe you need to walk across the aisle. You're always welcome to move around. Maybe you need to walk across the aisle and connect with someone who's standing all alone so they know they're not alone in worship today. Maybe you need to do all that before the service even begins. You know, as I sit down and before the service and as I wait for the service to begin, there's times when I really appreciate the stillness and the quiet. And that's great for me to, to connect with God. More often, though, I love the buzz and the conversation and the people connecting. And I love connecting to the people around me. That's preparation for worship in community. And then we start and we sing our praise to God together, right? David and the people of Jerusalem, they did so much more than just that, right? We read about it. He was so much more expressive in his worship than most of us are, right? David danced and he jumped with all his might. And together they shouted and they sang and, and, and the trumpets blasted and the drums played. As I imagine that scene, I, I, I asked myself, did everybody, did everybody dance like David did? I don't think so. 
I'm sure some walked calmly alongside the parade route. Did everybody leap? I doubt it. My guess is some people's feet never left the ground. Did everybody sing and did everybody shout? I doubt it. My guess is some people were silent. And that's okay. That's okay because in this community, we're focused together on God. And there's grace to make room for each other in all of our diversity of styles of worship. That's the hard lesson we get at the end with Michael. It's her pride that held her back and made her despise the worship of her husband, David. That kind of worship is beneath a king. That kind of dancing and leaping is humiliating and it's shameful. He shouldn't have done that. And David says to her, yes, it is humiliating. You're absolutely right. And I am willing to become even more humbled, even more undignified before my God because he deserves everything. I'm willing to to do whatever it takes to worship well, to do whatever it takes for me to worship well, no matter what the people around me think. And so you and I must respect each other's diversity of styles in worship. Each of us worships differently. It would be inappropriately for me to command you to worship in my style, to tell you that you have to dance, you have to raise your hands, and that, or even the other side, that you shouldn't do those things, that you shouldn't dance, that you shouldn't raise your hands. It might be good to try those things sometimes. But it would be inappropriate to look down on someone else's best way to worship, their best way to connect their heart to God. So I hope that in our times of worship together here at Ivanrest, this would be the fruit that the world would see. I hope that you know that you have the freedom to do whatever God's asking you to do in worship. We ask you to stand up at certain times, but if you need to sit down because you worship better sitting down, sit down. And if we're sitting down and you feel like God telling you to stand up, stand up. Some of us here lift our hands while we sing and praise. Sometimes we, we lay them out in front of us open in front of us when we're offering God the gift of our hearts, maybe of our lives, of our praise. The song says, I give you my heart, and, and it helps us to hold that out there as an image of giving God my heart. Sometimes we, we leave them open in front of us to receive. When we're singing about receiving God's grace or receiving salvation, and that helps us in worship to put our hands out and receive. Sometimes we, we put a hand up saying, this is what I believe, I agree, I affirm, this is me. What I just sang, I believe. And sometimes we just put our hands up in surrender because we're before an almighty God and we can't help but surrender ourselves completely to him. You don't have to do any of those things. But if that experience is helpful in your worship, then by all means, try it, do it. If it isn't, don't feel like you have to. But don't take away anybody else's freedom to worship before God. Has to be done in humility, 
Paul warns us anything done in worship to draw attention to ourselves, to put ourselves in the front, is stealing, is stealing that attention from God. That's pride. As long as it's done in humility before God, we need to be willing, like David, to become undignified and humiliated before God in our worship. Humility. I think that's the characteristic, humility. It's a characteristic that will cultivate healthy fruit of our worship in our lives and in our church. Because it's when each of us truly humbles ourselves before God, we, when we recognize him as Lord of our lives instead of recognizing ourselves as Lord of our lives, when we recognize him as Lord of our lives every day, not just on Sunday from, from 10 to 11, 15, it's then that we will stop pursuing only what we want and will align ourselves with what he wants. And then all of our lives, day in and day out, wherever we are, will be recognized as worship because we're serving, we're speaking, we're living in the presence of God Almighty, giving our lives back to him. And it's only when all of us together as a church, as Ivan Rest Church, when we together set aside our own preferences and desires and demands and we come together to meet God with open hearts and open hands, ready to receive him, ready to follow him, it's then that what we do here will be recognized by God and by the world around us as the healthy fruit of a healthy congregation, affirming a healthy spirituality, a healthy relationship with God himself. Our worship will be the fruit. Because healthy churches grow healthy fruit. And healthy churches engage in healthy worship. Would you pray with me? What a privilege, God, that you would invite us into your presence. How often haven't we taken that privilege lightly? We haven't taken it seriously. Like David and the rest of the 30,000, we didn't pay much attention to your presence, to what it means to be in your presence. Forgive us. Please forgive us when we step in here nonchalantly, not even thinking about who we're here to meet, the God of the universe who loves us immensely. Forgive us when we fail to remember that you aren't the God of a place. You are a God of all places. You aren't the God who gets shipped around. But you are a God who's carried in our hearts by the presence of your spirit everywhere we go. And so, Father, make every moment of our lives worship for you. And when we come together in this corporate worship, a place where you said you will, you will meet us in special and unique ways, may we give each other the, the grace that we need to worship you well. May we be challenged and sharpened and invited into a deeper worship because we've been here together with all of our diversity, with all of our differences, unified by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
tying each one of us together in you. And so, Father, we thank you for this gift, the gift of your presence and the gift of worship. May you send us from here ready to worship you at all times and in all places. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.